0: Hello and welcome to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast, recorded live weekly at our campus in Scottsdale, Arizona during our normal service. happy to be preaching with you uh, this morning. Um, so one of the cool things about preaching is you can just talk about whatever you want. You can talk about yourself and your weird quirks and your interests and things like that. Talk a lot about movies and TV shows. I also talk a lot about food and junk food and all that kind of stuff. So if you do not know that by this point, I really love junk food. I love I love all kinds of food, but especially like uh, desserts and snacks and just about any kind of junk food you can think about. Um, I do like organic vegetables. I like dabbling with vegetarian things, but like those aren't always as fun to talk about. So let's talk about junk food. Um, you know it's, it's fun to talk about the stuff that's bad for you. Um, and despite like my love of all this weird flavored things that are out there, despite my love of all like the weird like bad for you foods, um, if I were to tell you my favorite milkshake flavor, you might be a little surprised by that. It might kind of throw you through a loop. You might think that I'd go for this crazy milkshake if given the choice, and admittedly, yes, sometimes I do that, but uh, it's in the sermon title right here. My favorite uh, go-to flavor for milkshakes is actually vanilla. Like, I love a good vanilla milkshake. If I'm going to a restaurant for the first time and i got vanilla milkshakes, there's a good chance I may get one of those. I think vanilla milkshakes, they help to keep me grounded. Um, food should taste good, and it's, yes, it's fun to go uh, wild with the various flavors and things that are out there. Uh, but there's also something about just the simplicity and just the elegance of a vanilla milkshake. Um, I'm bringing this up to you. I'm bringing up my love of vanilla milkshakes because we're in a series and we're looking at different prayers in the Bible, theme of prayers, people praying, like that kind of stuff. Um, and there's obviously a lot that we can be saying about prayer and the various aspects to it. But uh, today's uh, text in Philippians, I think it's a good prayer to come back to. I think it's a good prayer to help keep us grounded. Uh, And so by all means, we should be absolutely going big and wild with our prayers. uh, But sometimes it's good to kind of keep it simple, kind of remember the basics, keep things grounded as well. So this is like a kind of a vanilla milkshake prayer uh, for us. So I hope that analogy works. It made sense in my brain. I hope you appreciate it. And if nothing else, maybe we'll get vanilla milkshakes after the service. So uh, let's pray and then we'll get started. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for your word. We're thankful for uh, Paul's writing it down in his day and the truth of uh, Paul's word then and the truth of uh, that word throughout the ages and the truth of your word for us here and now today. Lord, I pray that I would indeed be able to preach and proclaim your truth. If I say anything that's not of you, let that be forgotten. Uh, but we pray that you be brought glory and honor and that we'd learn to better be your disciples as a result. Amen. All right, so we're kind of, you know, skipping around in the Bible a little bit. We're in Philippians this morning, so let's talk about some background information for, uh, for Philippians. Um, in Acts chapter 16, uh, Paul establishes a church in the city of Philippi during his second missionary journey. Uh, Philippi, that was it was a city that's in modern-day Greece, and so this marks the beginning of Christianity in Europe uh, with the founding of the church there. Uh, if you don't believe me, you can read all about it in Acts chapter 16. Um, We aren't sure exactly, like, when or where he's writing this letter, uh, but we do know that he's actually imprisoned somewhere. He's in jail. Um, There's actually four uh, letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote while he was in jail, and this is one of them. Um, And we associate this letter as being written by Paul, uh, but we see in verse 1 that uh, that his cohort in the faith, Timothy, is also helping to write this letter as well. And this could mean a variety of things. It could actually mean like maybe they sat down and they hashed out this letter together. Maybe they actually were truly co-authoring it. Uh, maybe Paul, uh, maybe um, Timothy served as Paul's secretary. Like Paul was kind of walking around, kind of meandering around in, in his jail cell, and Timothy was kind of writing it all down. Um, Maybe he's like a co-author in the sense that Paul and Timothy were one spirit, one mind, so Paul is sending this letter from himself, but he knows that Timothy would also endorse everything he has to say. Um, We we don't really know uh, Timothy's involvement per se, there's kind of some ideas, um, uh, but we'll reference Paul being the author from here on out, but I wanted to touch upon it it, because the text mentions it. Um, but Paul, he has, uh, generally has warm feelings for the church that he starts. Like, that he starts. Like anytime that someone plants a church and starts it, he typically have warm feelings there, um, and that's very true of the church at Philippi. Um, he's, he, they're, they're part of his family. He's thankful for them. Um, he's, in, in this letter, he's not writing this long list of rebukes that he sometimes does in his other letters. Um, there, there's a little bit of that, a touch of that, but um, this is mostly like a thank you letter uh, for providing money for him, kind of serves as an update of what's happening in his life. Uh, Again, there's some other theological issues, but this is a fairly personal letter uh, to the church there. And as he starts this letter, he opens up about his prayers for them. He prays for them regularly. He is thankful for them. And so overall, this text, it's a good prayer. It's a prayer of assurance for the Philippian believers. It's it's a prayer of joy, uh, which ends up being a huge theme throughout this letter, the, the theme of joy. Uh, Actually, the word or the theme of joy or rejoicing comes up 14 times in this letter. Uh, And so if we were to preach a whole series uh, through Philippians, that would be a subject that we would talk about again and again and again, joy and rejoicing and and, and what that means. It's a concept that comes up a lot. Philippians, it's only four chapters in length. It's a couple pages in your Bible, uh, but something coming up 14 times, that's kind of a pretty consistent theme. And so before we get any further, I think it's best for us to kind of also understand, like, well, joy, like, what does that mean? Like, why does Paul have this joy? Like, what's he talking about here? Um, Because I think sometimes when we hear that word, uh, that might, like, and what we think of, that might not be what Paul is intending. Uh, So we we, we need to be kind of clear on Paul's concept of joy, Um, because that's a common word that's in the Bible. That's the kind of thing we talk about in churches, but we may have, like, differences of understanding of what that means. Um, I think that often when we hear the word joy, we talk about that, we, we maybe understand it as, like, this overarching happiness that just, like, never goes away, and to be filled with joy means you're just, life is all smiles, and there's no crying or pain or anything like that. I think there's this idea that no matter what comes my way, even if it's, like, something really tragic, someone, like, I care about, lo- like, like, dies, that we just, like, eh, we just shrug it off, you know? There's this idea that we smile through our suffering, and... I think that's a misunderstanding of what joy is. And I was thinking about this, like, okay, how do I, how do I sum up like this mischaracterization, mischaracterization of joy? What's a character or an example of something like that? And this is what I came up with. SpongeBob SquarePants. That is who my brain went to when I was trying to think of like, what's a character that represents someone who's happy all the time and kind of like spazzy and crazy that maybe is a misrepresentation of joy? Uh, SpongeBob is happy to a fault. Like, I think, and again, I think he represents this mischaracterization. Like, just a basic picture of SpongeBob, even if you've never seen him, you can just tell by looking at this character, like, he is just, like, like just happy, 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 like, 100% all of the time. And that's not what Paul's talking about here. That, that's not what he means by the subject of joy. So we often describe joy as an emotion or a mood that one is it, that one is in, and again, there's I think some truth in that. That joy can be described as an emotion or a mood, uh, like anything. There's different shades of meaning in, in a word, uh, but the concept of joy that Paul's talking about here is it's more than just a simple emotion. It's more than a happy feeling. It's more than a pleasant mood, and admittedly, it's kind of tricky to pinpoint. If we were doing a deep dive into Philippians, we could really like flesh out all kinds of meaning and sh- uh, definitions uh, to what this looks like. We'd spend a lot of time on it, uh, but we're only in it for one week this morning. And so uh, for our purposes today, here's kind of the, the working definition I want to use with, with joy. I think joy is more of an attitude or a worldview that calmly and confidently looks at a life deeply rooted in faith. It's it's a deep trust in the sovereignty of God and God's working in the world. Joy is a deep uh, trust in Christ. It's a trust that God is in control despite, despite whatever is happening in the world uh, uh, around us. Joy is able able to look beyond the particulars, whether good or bad uh, to a God who is above all human events and ultimately has control over all of these events. I think joy is is a state of mind. It's characterized by peace. It's, It's a trusting in the living God. Joy is kind of all of these things wrapped up together. It's peace and trust in God. It's a looking beyond what's ever going on right now to know that God is in control again, this does not cover everything there is to say about joy, but I think it's a good, maybe a starting point for us for understanding like like an aspect of joy in the Bible. It doesn't mean we don't get upset when bad things come our way, but I think joy helps us to kind of ground us as we're kind of dealing with just the trials and tribulations of life, just the everyday kind of stuff, as well as kind of the big picture tragedies. I think that joy helps ground us. And so we got SpongeBob up here. I said that SpongeBob is not a good example of joy. It's kind of a mischaracterization of joy. And so Again, thought long and hard. Okay, what is a character that maybe that represents joy? And so like what's, what's something maybe like a better version of what joy could be? And what I came up with was Samwise Gamgee from Lord of the Rings. Because um, he's a character that you can rely on. He's there for you. He will always show up when he says he will. Like he said, like we'll meet here, he's gonna show up and he does. He's not perfect. If you don't know what potatoes are, he's gonna make fun of you, you know, that, Uh, But he is unwaveringly loyal to his friends. He's there for them, especially for Frodo. And he won't leave them. He's kind of just this constant force in their lives to help keep them grounded despite whatever tragedies and weird things are going on in their lives. Um, and if you're familiar with the books or with the movie, especially I think in this scene right here, I think it kind of sums up joy because this is like kind, of at, kind of towards the end when they're about ready to throw the ring into the the mountain into Mount uh, Mordor and um, Frodo just is giving up. He's like, can't do it. And he like, ah, Sam comes to me and he says like, Mr. Frodo, I can't carry it for you, but I can carry you. Oof. We have this mission to destroy the ring, Frodo. That's your mission. I can't do that for you, but I can scoop you up and help sure that it, it gets completed. And so I think joy is better understood as someone like Samwise, who's kind of a constant and there for you, than a SpongeBob who's just like, let's just be happy all the time. All analogies fall apart. You can certainly you know, pick apart this one as well. So if you're sitting there and you have a better example for me, please like, talk with me after the service. I'd love to just get your take on like, maybe uh, characters and, and joy and all that kind of stuff. Um, but So hopefully that kind of that makes sense for you. So because of Paul's joy, because he has a peace and a trust in God, because he is able to look beyond what's happening now, because he knows that God is in control, uh, Paul writes about the implications uh, of what this means uh, for the believers in Philippi all throughout this letter. Um, in verse 6, his, his joy allows for him to pray with confidence that he who began a good work in them will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Paul is confident that whatever is happening in their community in Philippi, whatever is going on there, whatever sorts of problems or persecutions or suffering that may come their way, he is confident that they will be preserved despite these things. Uh, Paul is confident that God will never leave them. Because after all, Christ promises to be with us until his eventual physical return one day. And so no matter what uh, life circumstances may be occurring, God is with them and God is still in control. And because they are united with Christ, Paul has these deep feelings of affection for them. He has a heart of sympathy. He has a strong pastoral uh, concern for them. And so because of Paul's past with them, because he's helping to plant this church in Philippi, helping to lead people to Christ, because he has a confident uh, joy in the overarching goodness and the sovereignty of God, you know, because of all of these things, he has this wonderful prayer for them in verses 9 to 10. He, he prays uh, that your love might become even more and more rich with the knowledge and all kinds of insight. I pray this so that you will be able to decide what really matters, and so you will be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. And so his prayer for their love is to abound more in knowledge and more in depth of insight. And it's not just like a head knowledge. It's not just like gaining facts and, and dates and things like that. He's, he's praying for them to have just a more um, of an insight and a knowledge and in, in, into a depth of like the character of God. Like that is what like, his prayer for them is. They, they would come to understand the character of like the creator of the universe. Paul's prayer is they understand the nature and the character of God, understand the life of Christ as new creations and how they are to think and to act and to live. And if they have this, if they truly understand what it means to be living for God, what it means to be living for Christ, they'll be able to discern what is best. They may be pure and blameless until his return. And so a better knowledge of God and the ways of God will promote harmony from within the group. It will promote fellowship. It will promote growth. Again, it doesn't mean bad things are not going to come their way. They will still have problems in life. It doesn't mean they will always agree on everything. Uh, they certainly will disagree. They will certainly get into fights. It doesn't mean that life will always be peachy keen. But it does mean that if they're seeking the way of Christ, they will continue to help to keep them grounded. And as the more you're grounded in Christ, I think the more you're able to work through whatever difficulties come your way. Now, Paul's prayer is that the Philippians, they may be characterized by love, just as God the Father is characterized by love. And he continues on with their their prayer for them in verse 11 by praying, I pray that you will be filled with the fruit of righteousness, which comes from Jesus Christ, in order to give glory and praise to God. And so Paul, he starts his letter with this very beautifully simple, yet somewhat complex and intertwined prayer for the believers in Philippi. He prays that they will continue to grow and expand, that they'll come to more knowledge and insight of how to live a life that honors Christ. That by their love, their righteousness will continue to grow and expand as well. That whatever things distract them from being kind and loving uh, to God and to neighbor, that those distractions will disappear. That if Christ were to return during their lifetimes, that he would find a faithful group who has been committed uh, to a path of laying their lives down for one another. And so that's uh, prayer, uh, Paul's prayer for the church in Philippi. Um, it's a church he had a strong personal and emotional connection, con- connection with. After all, he, was, he helped start them. He kind of helped to birth them. Any church you start will have a special place in your, in your heart. Um, they weren't without their problems, as any church certainly will have things they need to work on. Absolutely, that's the case. And again, as we as as modern day believers, we sit down, we read the Bible, we read things. It's easy for us to kind of rush in and kind of like make this stuff all about ourselves and make everything applicable to us here and now. And as we've kind of talked about with some of these prayers, like some of these prayers in the Bible, like we'll discover that like they're not all good prayers. Like one of our our earlier sermons was on on the book of Samson in the book of Judges, where Samson was praying for death and destruction upon himself and his enemies. And if you were here for that sermon, I made it pretty clear like, don't pray the prayer of Samson. That is not a good prayer for you. That is not a healthy prayer for any of us. Um, But in looking at this prayer from Philippians, I would very much like be okay with making this prayer one for us as well. I think uh, the spirit of what he's talking about, the idea of this prayer, absolutely can serve as a model for us as well. So 10 out of 10, like be praying this one. I think this is a prayer that helps all of us stay grounded and kind of like cut through a lot of the craziness of this world and kind of get to back back to the basics. You know, uh, Paul has this perspective of confidence. He has this underlying joy because of what he understands about Christ. That Christ is the one who began a good work in them and promised to be with them no matter what. And of all the things to be confident in, that's, I think for me, like that's the one thing to help me keep grounded and kind of like helps keep me going. Like I'm just... I look around at the world, this, this news cycle that we see, all these stories of dread, all these stories of horror. Anytime something big makes the news, I'm just clicking on article after article after article, reading all I can about it. You know, we see all this stuff that's out there that causes us to throw up our hands. We want to just, like, scream and be like, what is going on? Like, what are we to do with all of this? Like, I very much am a person that gets caught up in that. I was sharing about the, uh, the Texas school shooting a few weeks back, and that's just, like, weighed on me for days and days and days, and every time, I still I see an article about it. I click on it and read about it, and I'm like, "What do I? Do? You know, what do we do this? What do we? What do we make of this?" So it's easy to kind of get caught up in some of this stuff, and yet I think for me, one of the things that helps just keep my perspective, one of the things that helps me keep me grounded in all of the insanity of of, of the world, is is what's presented in verse six. That's something I keep coming back to. It's the one who began a good work in us will see it through. I think, again, with our faith, like we're not called to be SpongeBob SquarePants. We're not called to just like, just smile at no matter what comes our way. You know, There's real pain and real suffering and real fear and frustrations in our world today. Absolutely. But believing that Christ is alive and present with us uh, does not mean that our hardships are not real, does not mean we should just brush things aside. But, but we're, if we're grounded in the idea that God has not left us alone, if we're grounded in the idea that the Holy Spirit indwells us, uh, hopefully that leads to the question of, like, that's amazing. Like, what do we do with this? How do we understand the world? How should we live? How do we make sense of all this stuff? Like, what should this grounding of joy cause us to do? And I think it's, it's, it's to just embody this prayer that he has, like, that our love might become more and more rich with the knowledge of all kinds of insight. That we be able to decide what really matters so that we can be sincere and blameless on the day of Christ. That we will be filled with the righteousness which comes from Christ Jesus to give glory and praise to God. And Again, I think this is a prayer to be like Samwise Gamgee, to be kind of grounded, to kind of just stick with it, to kind of just know that Christ is in control and showing up every day and saying, I don't know what to do with all this stuff, but I trust that you are here. I trust that you are creator. I trust that you're with us today. I'm going to keep going knowing that you are ultimately in control and you call us to do good things in the world. And so I think this is a beautiful prayer that helps keep us grounded in what actually matters. So it's kind of like the vanilla milkshake for me. Like there's the, and the, it's a constant in our lives that we can always go back to and know like this is the good stuff right here. Like I can focus on all these other things, but at the end of the day, I want a vanilla milkshake. I want to stay grounded. I want to stay, like, to what truly matters. There's, there's just so much to life, so much to just figuring it all out, and that can get very complicated, especially when you factor in faith and, like, what it means to be part of a church and a believer and, like, what you should put your focus and, and, and your energy on. We there's infinite stuff we should be doing. We can spend lots of time and energy and doing all these things that, at the end of the day, like, are kind of distractions and maybe, like, Kind of don't matter and kind of, like, get us away from, like, what really truly matters. Because I, I think that the more you understand, like, the ways of Christ, the more we understand the radicalness of that calling of, like, what it really means to follow Christ, to pick up our cross and follow him, the more that, that stuff keeps us grounded in, like, what truly matters and all, all of these distractions that we get caught up with, like, maybe we can just kind of brush aside or have a better way of understanding those things. And so it's easy for it to, to overcomplicate things. And again, my mind just goes back to like, okay, the Bible's really thick. Like, what do we do with all this stuff? Like, what do we make sense? You know, how do we make sense of all this? And my mind just goes back to the simplicity of, what's the greatest commandments? Love God, love neighbor. Like, that's the vanilla milkshake for me. I think this prayer is kind of like getting back to that. Like, what matters? Love God, love neighbor. And, and that has an infinite number of possibilities, like how, we, how, we, how that plays out and, I don't think God is, li- is wanting us to limit what that means. And I think about, like, just how many of our fights and our struggles and things that can often weigh us down as we deal with conflicts in the world. Like, at the end of the day, like, so many of these things just don't matter. And I think about how many of our conflicts could be avoided by a simple just love your neighbor as yourself worldview. Keep coming back to that. And even with, like, you know, faith and Christianity and, like, how we understand that, like, there's all kinds of you know, flavors and styles and versions of faith that are out there today. And I was kind of looking at, looking at just things and thinking about church history and all that. And there's this version, this vision of Christianity that's been around for a long time. And it's still part of our world today. And there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a, there's a version of faith that is really like, excited about like, getting power. And there's, exci- there's this version of faith that's really excited about like, trying to rule the world. Uh, That is to say there's this idea that like, hey, as people of faith, we need to consolidate our power and we need to blend our faith with this. And somehow when we do this, that will embody the kingdom of God today. And that's something that we see now, but really it's something that like the whole church has kind of struggled with throughout our 2,000 years of existence. Like that's been a thing. You study church history, you'll see group after group after group who's like, hey, to follow Jesus means we get power and then we can rule. And it when you look at these groups, like I don't know, I don't see the way of Jesus in, in these groups. And we can study them historically and look back and be like, I don't know if that they were getting it, because when, when Christianity, when you seek to gain power and control through the being the ones in charge, it generally doesn't go over very well. Because when you're in power, what do you want to do? You want to cling to that power. You want to like often it changes into a convert or die. Type of methodology. A sword, either real or metaphorical, is placed upon people's necks. And you tend to, uh, you, you tend to um, be a, a, you better live exactly how I say by these guidelines, otherwise there'll be major punishments in, in, in your outlook when, when you are ruling with a sword. But that it tends to be a system that draws very clear lines of who is in and out. And you clearly know if you're in or out, if there's a sword on your neck. Because if there's a sword on your neck, you know that you are on the outs. And when when that version of faith, it it seeks to desire power and control with ruling with a a closed fist, instead of being a system that seeks to dismantle power, that's what Christ was all about, dismantling powers, to make sure that all people and levels of society are cared for and respected and loved, especially the ones at the margins, especially the ones that are in in the minority. Because it's, really hard to love your neighbor when you're seeking to control your neighbor. And so this prayer of deciding what really matters, like this, of all the stuff to focus in on, I think at the end of the day, we seek to understand our lives through the lens of Christ. It's everything that comes back to what, is like, what does it look like to be through Christ? And so I think this is a prayer to emulate. It's a prayer uh, worth praying for our lives, for our context, for our individual lives, our families, our church. I think that this prayer absolutely can be ours. it was a prayer for Philippi, absolutely it's a prayer for us here and now today. And so to my friends in the faith, to those on a faith journey, to those who are present with us now, to those who are listening later, let us take this concept of joy seriously that we can pray with confidence, knowing that God is in control, and that helps us with our daily lives, our struggles, whatever stuff is coming our way that can keep us grounded. Let us with joy know that we are never alone, and the one who began a good work in us will never leave us. And let us take this prayer, make it our own, that we can continue to ask that our love may abound more and more, as we seek to be transformed and to transform the world through Christ and the ways of Christ. Let that be the vanilla milkshake that guides us back. Let that be the thing that kind of keeps us grounded each and every single day. Thank you for listening to Papago Butte's Church of the Brethren podcast. If you have any questions or are interested in finding out more about our church, feel free to reach out to us at any time. Our contact information is provided at www.pbcob.org.